Welcome to iPodius, a 12-episode podcast in which I, John, of the Judge John Hodgman podcast, watch I, Claudius, the famous 1976 BBC miniseries about ancient Rome for maybe the fifth or ninth time, and he... Elliot Caitlin. That's you, of the Flophouse podcast, watches it for the very first time, and then we talk about what we've seen. Hi, Elliot. Hi, John. How are you? Good. You know, we do this intro, and I never leave a space for you to say your own name, and that's monstrous of me. I apologize. No, no, no. It's, it's, look, it's, you're getting into the character of these scheming Romans who are only thinking about themselves, except for, say, heroic Claudius, who is overlooked by everybody and, you know, basically trampled on uh, by everyone emotionally, and that's me. Oh, no, I think I'm Claudius. <laughs> mm, well, we'll have to have a clot off at some at some point. Because <laughs> I really relate to a lot of Claudius more than I relate to. I mean, it's that's the sad thing about it is it's like when I'm watching the episodes, it's not just, oh, I relate to Claudius because he's the positive character. I'm like, I relate to Claudius because he's like, he just wants to be with his books and he has trouble yes. sometimes dealing with the other people and everyone else is so confident and he doesn't have that. Well, in fact, uh, a, a listener named Michelle wrote in saying that she had created a I Claudius uh, fan website on a, a tripod site back sometime in the '90s, which included an I Claudius personality quiz. And I'm uh, I've taken the quiz myself, and I'm very su- surprised by my results. I will send the quiz to you. You, t- you answer a bunch of questions, and it, t- it tells you which I Claudius character you would be. And there are some that are fairly leading, like. You just want to be alone with your scrolls and your old age pancake makeup. <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably Tiberius, right? Yeah, okay. But since you identify with with uh with Claudius so heavily, I wonder if I wonder if that will turn out to be true. I I, I stopped and stammered there, not because I am like Claudius, but I realized that though I tend to and want to associate with the the leading and most sympathetic character in the story, I just I don't feel that I feel like I Claudius. I do feel like Augustus. I feel like that's my character in that. That's mm-hmm. like just the, the the blinkered well-meaning dum-dum. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a there's a certain aspect of you that is larger than life and Augustus as played by Brian Blessed certainly is. And I mean, yes. and in a real life I'm sure he was too. He was literally a man who I think who... he's still alive. No, no, no I mean uh, Augustus. No, I think he's still alive too. He's a god. He'll live forever. Oh, really? uh, oh I see. Uh, well, Spoiler this alert! This episode's going to be an interesting one for you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, certainly, I bet Emperor Augustus was probably even more of a larger than life character than Brian Blessed is today. Brian Blessed. We'll have to save this for another time. But we should do a segment just on the life of Brian Blessed. Yes, because his life is kabonks. Kabonk's fun. He was he's a a true Falstaffian uh, massive personality slash mountain climber. It's all true. Yeah, we'll we'll cover it in, a, in another episode in a segment that we'll probably end up calling a blessed life or count <laughs> yeah. count your blessings. Count your blessings or the life of Brian. It could work too. <laughs> no, I don't think so. We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> Meanwhile. 
One time, when I was younger, you know, I had a friend named Charles Diggs, and he and I had the idea, I don't remember which one of us had it, doesn't matter, that it would be fun... <laughs> Livia, which one of us had the idea? You remember. <laughs> it would be fun to watch a television show or movie that followed the adventures of the Peanuts gang now in their <laughs> mid-twenties. We were in our own mid-twenties at the time, full of life, I say. And these are the sorts of things we would sit around and talk about while having a beer and wondering <laughs> what our fortunes would become. Charles and I agreed with each other this was a very good idea, should we be able to get the IP. But we had one disagreement. I said, you should play Linus. And he said, no, I am Charlie Brown. My name is Charles. Well, <laughs> how could that be? I said, because, but I am Charlie Brown. I could not. I, that was almost the end of our friendship. I can't do, I can't do it anymore. Oh, wow. I could not contain my fury. There can be only one Charlie Brown, and it's obviously not you, Charles Diggs. The truth is, he was a perfect Linus. Perfect. It revealed a lot about how we felt about ourselves and about our relationship with each other. Anyway, we'll talk more later. So we watch. <laughs> I was. I'm. I'm. I'm so in in suspense about how that relates to what we're talking about today. Otherwise, that's it. That's it. It doesn't relate. That was the point. Oh, just self perception. Self perception. I, I didn't know if you were going to talk but, about you know, how. We, like we were very. Charles and I. Uh, we, you know, like a lot of people in their forties. You know, we've we've have families. We've drifted apart. But we were inseparably good friends and and i really did you know he was an inward looking intellectual in the way linus was mm -hmm. you know i don't know but he saw himself as charlie brown he was wrong he's wrong and did you ever did you ever see there was a play called dog sees god that is about the peanuts characters as teenagers no i that, never, uh, i it, are you telling me that my idea was i'm not the only person to have had this idea uh, I mean, that's uh, no, I'm more more to. I was wondering if you had seen. There were two runs of the play. One was at the New York Fringe Festival, and everyone told me it was great, and I had to go see it. And then it did a off Broadway run, and when I saw it, it was it did not work. And I went to one of my friends, and I said, I I didn't it didn't work for me. And he goes, Oh no, they changed it a lot between the runs, and they ruined it. And I was like, Oh okay, glad I missed the first run then. But I wondered if you had if you had had any experience with it. But I guess you did not. And you're saying that that story is better than my story about peanuts being not grown? at all, not at all. Well, may, I should have told it differently. That, I that guess. Your diversion. <laughs> there was a time hmm. when my grandmother and I went hey, to the theater. It's all very interesting, Elliot. Um, I, I have a little gift for you. Uh, pro, uh, pro, uh, what's his name? Proximo. <laughs> what's the name of the butler in the palace again? I can't. Praxis. Uh, yeah, I think Prax yeah. Praxis. Praxis will show show you out of this room while we talk about I Claudius. <laughs> so look, normally we do ancient history, but I think we've eaten up enough time with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by now, I think people who have been watching along, people I hope have been watching along with us, which is would be fun. And if you haven't been doing that, let's do it. And also, I think this this episode, I think, is fair. That doesn't introduce a whole bunch of new characters, and we're no. really dealing now with established characters, and we know who they are and what's going on. We are in the American South, nineteen seventy nine. What? No, we're uh, in ancient Rome. <laughs> year what? Now in this episode, Poison is Queen. We know what year it is because of something that happens in it. So this is about AD fourteen. About A.D. 14 or, or Common 14 Era CE. 14, yeah. right? Which do you like? A.D. I mean, Anno Domini has a religious context, As, right? as a non-Christian, I should like C.E. Right. and B.C.E., but it feels like, look, let's just use the one that 
everybody's right. using. It's just that much. And CE and BCE sound too similar to me. I like BC and AD. It reminds me of the BC comic strip, which is hilarious because it's about a bunch of Christian cavemen, even though the title of the strip is BC. That's right. Look, everyone in every other religion, we're just counting the years from the birth of our prophet. And we're forcing it on you. Okay, okay, perhaps Anno Domini is a little bit too much. We'll call it CE and call it a compromise, <laughs> shall we? Instead of BC, we'll say BCE. Oh, you've <laughs> hidden it very well. Thank you. I can't. My Brian Blessed is terrible. I shouldn't be doing that. All right, anyway. Uh, once again, we open with a framing device. Old age pancake Claudius is sitting in his darkened inner cardboard chamber in the royal palace of Rome, ruminating on the history of his family. This framing, and then he flashes back to the history. A framing device, which is frankly, I'm going to say getting a little old. A little bit. And especially because, well, and you see he, he is much like Polio and Livy in the last episode. He is looking for a scroll and right. having trouble finding it. And then a bunch of, like a hidden cistern or something is brought to him. And inside he finds a very important piece of uh, documentation, which sparks his memories for this episode. There are two guys who come in with this tub full of scrolls. And only one of them has a speaking part. It's like, we found this underneath the rubbish, and Claudius is mad. Would you like me to tidy up some of this mess, Caesar? Well, well, no, no. The last time you tidied up, I couldn't find anything anymore. But then the other guy just stands there, and I, I actually wonder if... I, I made a note here. It's like, is it a BBC contract thing? Like, they have to get as many... <laughs> as many white guy character actors into this piece as possible like well he's just you know you know he's got uh, a family let's just put him in for one scene maybe it is i don't know so what do they find inside the old the old hidden leather tub elliot uh they find augustus's will yes they find the or specifically claudius finds the last will and testament of the emperor augustus aka boss nass again one of those documents you think would be preserved if only for legal reasons, not necessarily, even if, if not historical reasons, but I guess they just, yeah, they just threw it in that leather bucket with a bunch of receipts and things no, like there's, that. There's a reason why it's in the leather bucket, as will be revealed later on. Oh, yes. Right. And, and that's what this is the story of. This is a fun story about how a legal document gets lost. <laughs> <laughs> Intrigue in ancient may Rome. I, may I point Mis-filing. out that, that you said Augustus's will? Whereas oh, he says, Claudius says Augustus. Augustus will with a silent, uh, a silent possessive apostrophe on the end of Augustus, which is a very pretentious thing to do. Yeah, and it's also I've never been sure. And it, outdated. T- it's not a plural, so I don't know why you do that. But again, outdated is okay. It's ancient Rome, you know. And they're speaking uh, his, his second language, English. He would have spoken Latin in real life. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just so, want everyone know. to know, everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the pedants who like to write me emails on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. That when you have, when you have, it is now standard convention, whatever it was in the past, in ancient Rome or whatever, or ancient BBC times, if the name ends with an S and it is not plural, you go, let's say Elliot's name was Elias. Elias's. If my, if my name was John's, it would be John's's, <laughs> not John's, silent. That's, I don't know why this is very, very pedantic of me, but the exception I believe is Jesus. But uh, at this time, Jesus is only 14 years old. No one's talking about him. All right, let's move on. <laughs> well, I mean, his, his, par- his, his parents are having, you know, PTA meetings where the teachers are like, we're having trouble getting through to Jesus. He thinks he knows all the answers. Also, do you say Jesus or Jesus's when you talk about Jesus's pencil? <laughs> do I? Uh, I mean, no, that's I what the he... teachers are saying to, oh, to Mary they're and saying, Joseph. They're saying, Mary, how PTA. do you address your son? 
no, that's the, they're like uh, you you ha- you keep forgetting uh, Jesus's thermos at the school. They're like we just say Jesus thermos. <laughs> Um, why, why would you say that? It's just easier around the house. <laughs> Is, what if Jesus had a secret half-brother named Thermos? <laughs> what are we talking about? Okay, cut to the Imperial Senate, which I'm not sure if this is the first time we've seen it, but I think this the, the Imperial Senate chamber looks pretty good for cardboard marble. <laughs> this is one of the I better mean, looking sets. It's It's one of the better sets. It's still... Very small for what it's supposed to be representing, but it does. It looks a little bit better. Oh, all right, Mister History. How big was how big was it supposed to be? I mean, it was pretty. But this this looks like it holds about forty people, like kind of a mid size, kind of like a, a Roy Rogers you would find at a at a rest stop on a highway. Like that's the size of this Imperial Senate. When I have to assume in, in real life, it would hold at least a few hundred people. Well, oh, you didn't look that up. I didn't. Le- not yet. I'll look it up right now. Yeah, how about that? While you're doing that job, I'll continue to say Germanicus enters the Imperial Senate. He's Cla- he's Claudius's hunky brother with golden flaxen golden hair. The province is peaceful once more, and her tribute flows again. Your legions await your further orders. Hail Caesar! Uh, so the Senate it consisted of three hundred to five hundred senators. Oh well. All right, then. Well, you make a good point. I always thought from this TV show that, like, maybe stuff that we think of as grand in the ancient past was actually because there were fewer people and there was, and they were smaller and, and their construction was, you know, aside from the Colosseum, a, a masterpiece of ancient engineering. Like, maybe it was just this dumpy room full of, like, I mean, I'm sure everything was dumpier than we think. And also, everything was more colorful than we think. Like, we think of... Ancient Rome and ancient Greece as these austere kind of white marble places. But in real life, a lot of that would be painted over with bright colors. So it looked a lot more garish than we think it does. Elliot Kalen jumping in with the uh, uh, historical facts about how marble statues used to be colored to look human and alive to make up for the fact that he never knew how large the Roman Senate was. (laughs) I got to say something. I mean, they were colored to look alive. Uh, It was all based on an ancient Greek drama called Mannequin. Uh, by I think uh, Euripides. That was then, and then of course Aeschylus wrote the sequel, Mannequin <laughs> Two, Honest the Movis. <laughs> I love how much you enjoyed that joke. <laughs> what I also loved for myself was that I said Honest the Movis like it was Latin when they would have written it in Greek, which sounds different. Anyway, that's a little joke for myself. <laughs> so, uh, so they're in the Senate, and it does look like a good set. And Germanicus is back, baby. And this actor, Germanicus, who's exceedingly handsome, I my breath has just been taken away because I didn't do my research either, and I'm just, as I'm talking, discovering that this actor, David Robb, plays mm-hmm. da- plays Downton Abbey's own Dr. Clarkson in 34 episodes. And of course he does. Of course he does. Mm-hmm. That's, in- that's incredible. He's still an extremely handsome actor and a great one, but boy, oh boy, was Germanicus a hunk in this one. And Boss Nass is in lurf with him because... He's brought back those eagles. He took revenge upon what's his name, the German leader whose name I don't remember and don't care about. Uh, uh, Arminius. Actually, I mean, they, uh, well, they, they got him back. I won't, we don't need to get into the details of it. But yeah, that was, they got those eagles back. Because as you remember in the last episode, Augustus was all, I want my eagles back, eagles back, eagles back. I want my eagles back, eagles back, eagles back. <laughs> and of course, Ty- Ty- Tiberius back, chimed back, in saying, back. yeah, his eagles back ribs, barbecue sauce. Anyway, I had to say that now because I forgot to say it last episode. 
so terrible. Anyway, <laughs> but wonderful. So Germanicus comes in, says, we win, and then basically exits. That's that scene. <laughs> and goes directly to a darkened side set hanging where young Claudius is hanging out with another book and some cricket sound effects to make it seem like he's outside. And uh, they have a little convo, brothers getting back together, the handsome one and the, and the slight oddball one. How do you like being a married man and a father? What do you think of your little boy? I don't like him very much. I think he's horrid. <laughs> oh, Claudius. What do you think of my wife? That she's taller than me. I know. She's taller than me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not funny. So you have to remember from last episode that uh, it was revealed that Claudius's wife, first wife in this case, is much, much, much taller than him or anyone else in the world, such that just seeing her causes everyone to laugh. Mm-hmm. And so, as you point out, Germanicus says, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, her face is not unpleasant. And he goes, I've never seen it. I've never been up that far. Yeah. Testament to Claudius as a wordsmith, but also testament to him as being a creep all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, this is still, it's locker room talk, you know. I did not expect him to be broing out this way. <laughs> this is also the second, the second episode where his wife is referred to without being named. We haven't gotten right. her name yet in yeah. the, in the show yet. And that's Plautia. Or Plautia. Plautia Rugalanilla. Arugula? Ergolanilla, Ergolanilla, Ergolanilla. Okay. Ergolanil. And historically, was she very, very tall? Is that, or is that just an invention of uh, Jack Pullman, the author, teleplay writer? It may be an invention of Robert Graves, but I don't know what he's if he's basing it on something. It's possible that he read in one of these histories, oh, and his wife, who was a huge woman, or something like that. But in it, Robert Graves describes her as being much taller than than right. Claudius, and just kind of like big, just big in general. It's a weird moment of Claudius being a, a little bit broy and a little bit misogynist. You know, the last episode ended with everyone laughing at him, uh, humiliated because he was marrying this freakishly tall woman. And now he's laughing at her, too, which is a weird. It's a, I, I didn't know quite what to make of, of him laughing at her in, and laughing with his brother in this. He does seem to be feel a little bit more confident than he was in the last episode. A little bit more, like he's gotten the he's gotten the orders from Posthumus and Polio to keep playing the fool, and he kind of knows his role. And of course, he's learned from Posthumus that Posthumus suspects that Livia monitors all correspondence into and out of the royal palace, including Claudius's own. I think this is meant this is meant to be a by the authors of the work to be a sweet moment between him and his brother where Claudius can let his hair down and reveal his true self and where he is comfortable enough to ridicule someone else, basically. Right. I think it's also, like, on a very base level, he's done it now. So, like, I just remember, when I was a a young man and I had not yet done it, that was something, and then crossed that threshold, it would became a, suddenly I felt more confident just in the entire world around me because this this, uh, manhood ritual that I had not achieved, I now achieved. It definitely comes off as a lot ickier now than I think it was meant to at the time. And I wonder if it's like, there's part of me though that likes like Claudius is not perfect. You know, aside from having these kind of physical defects that he has no control over, he is not a perfect person. He has his own times when he is not the the best person he can be too. And that makes it, uh, I like that more about him. He's he's very humanizing. Yes, Yes. I agree. 
I, you don't lose faith in Claudius in this moment. It was just rewatching it this closely after seeing it so many times is the first time I kind of noticed like, oh, that's funny that what he reveals here in this intimate moment that he's mm-hmm. able to open up this way and get into this kind of banter. Yes, but also reveal kind of that he's kind of he's got some bad thoughts. He's not a perfect person. Yeah. Now, for those listening at home who may not know, Elliot made reference to doing it. If you're a young person, <laughs> you should know that Elliot is referring to, I'm presuming hugging and kissing in a close sexual way. He might be referring to seeing RoboCop. I'm not sure which was the big test of manhood in his life. No, no, no. I, t- I mean, seeing RoboCop as, uh, as, as maybe referenced later was a big moment for me also. But I'm referring to the, uh, to the act of physical intimacy. Yeah. with a loved one of, or just another person of your choosing. And they're choosing as well in an entirely uh, both sides wanting to do it way. Right. I just want to remind everyone who is listening that just like I, Claudius, this is a podcast that is uh, that deals with frank sexual themes from time to time. You, there is, just like I, Claudius, there is nudity. I am currently topless. Uh, there will be a swear word later on, but also just like I, Claudius, this is something that you can enjoy uh, with a precocious uh, preteen, let's say. This is something that I enjoyed with my son. We've watched it a number of times together. Um, and indeed, I watched this episode with him last night. So just a, a fair warning to parents and children in the audience as we go forward. I like that these warnings always happen after we've said some stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get fucking crazy. Okay. <laughs> so... So, you, so as you mentioned, uh, Claudius, he thinks Livy is reading everybody's mail. He doesn't trust her. Oh, yes. And I will continue that sentence by saying <laughs> <laughs> part of his new maturity might come from the, the cynicism that he now has or is developing. Yes. Coming to believe Posthumus's accusation that Livia has essentially been one by one murdering even members of her own family, anyone who might get in the way of Tiberius ascending to the throne. And he tells Germanicus that Posthumus was exiled because Lavilla accused him of rape. He thinks that Lavilla lied about her rape accusation and Livia put her up to it. And here's where Germanicus gets ex- extremely progressive all of a sudden. It's like, whoa, dude, women don't make up rape. <laughs> why would they do? Why would they make such an accusation? And uh, he gets he gets to answer back a little bit to the the weirdly MRA fantasy of Lavilla's false rape accusation of the last episode. But of course, in this story, Lavilla's accusation of rape was false. It got Boss Nass to send Posthumus off to a little island to banish him, and to get him out of the way of Tiberius' ascension to the throne. And now Claudius is saying to Germanicus. Over the years, she has systematically destroyed his mother, his two brothers, and possibly his father, Agrippa. He believes she poisoned Julius' first husband, Marcellus, and had a hand in our father's death when he saw what she was doing. He believes that she poisoned our grandfather. He believes she will stop at nothing to ensure that Tiberius follows Augustus. He believes she's mad. And I said all that... And out stuttering. And Germanicus is like, do you have any proof? And uh, Claudius is like, no, 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 no. But maybe Augustus <laughs> will believe, maybe the Augustus will take the accusation seriously if they come from Germanicus because they are in Lurf, because Germanicus just returned home from a triumph. Cut to Brian Blessed trimming his fake fig tree in the cardboard garden. He seems very happy and he's whistling a weird tune in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is a very dad moment for Emperor Augustus. Just like very, he's got his hobby. He's make he's singing or whistling some kind of weird song. He's irritating everybody. It's a very dad thing. Yeah, and he's whistling like I'm a good whistler. Here's how I whistle. But he's doing some weird thing through his teeth so that his he's not forming his lips around the whistle. So his lips are dead. And he's like whistling through his teeth. He looks like he's in this perpetual grimace, going. I can't I can't do a whistle through my teeth, but it's it's this weird otherworldly not like a happy song that sounds full of rage. And that's where he's at, as we discover in this scene. Mm-hmm. His eyes are lit with a with both anger and a kind of perverse delight that he now sees the truth of things. He's and in fact he does, because we'll learn later on, and I might as well say it now, Germanicus does go to him and say, by the way. Claudius told me that uh, your wife Livia has been killing all these people <laughs> and for once in his life Augustus does not go what you're lying he goes what if you're telling the truth let me go let me go tend to my garden and think about this in a rage for a while and by the time Livia comes out to criticize him on his pruning techniques Augustus ain't having any of it anymore mm-hmm what are you now an expert on gardening is that something else you become lately I'm already telling you the gardeners all complain you spoiled them last year. Mm. And whose garden is this? You're not the only one that uses it. Incredible. Everyone's an expert suddenly. How long have we been married? Don't you remember? Fifty years. And in all that time, you've never been able to tell one plant from another. And suddenly, you know all there is to know about pruning. Wonderful. I think your brain's going soft, you know that? Nobody can talk to you anymore. Anyone can talk to me? No, they can't. Anyone can talk to me anytime. Except you. He yells back at her, defends himself. They get into a gardening fight. He says, you don't talk to people, you bully them. What do you think of that character turn, Elliot? I thought this is, uh, again, this this fits with, in the last episode, the, one of these arguments that is partly plot and partly a married couple that's been together for a long time and is having issues out when he's like, suddenly you're an expert on gardening. You're an expert on everything. You don't, you bully people. Like it's the, uh, that this, this is a conversation that, you know, is a long time coming. And if not for some events in the, as the episode goes on, it would be an argument they would probably have over and over again. Cause they're officially in like Lockhorns territory now, uh, as far as a married couple. But I thought yeah, but this, this scene, it's like one of those things that, uh, you kind of want it to happen so much in the previous episodes because you're waiting for Livia to get some kind of comeuppance, but it's too late, and you know while it's happening that it's too late. Yes, but it's definitely cathartic to see him taking it to Livia, even though he's not openly accusing her of anything. No, no, but just she's, that he's not like he's not just knuckling right. under whatever she says, you know. Right. He is critiquing her. He's saying some hard truths that you know. Why should I tell you that I'm going to Corsica? You find out everything anyway. He's being really passive aggressive and he's not buckling under her as he normally does. And she realizes that after 50 years of manipulating him, she she's at the disadvantage here. She didn't know that he was going to Corsica. She suspects that he's going to Corsica in order to To visit Posthumus. And she suspects correctly, but he won't tell her. And then probably one of the greatest moments in the the series, enter the Spanish melon. (laughs) 
Have you tried this melon? They're from southern Spain. Try one. I don't want any. No, you don't eat enough fruit. If you ate more fruit, you wouldn't get so many wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of eating. In this. A lot of fruit eating in this episode. There's a lot of there's a lot of eating of different things. There's a lot of meal settings throughout all of this. But what could be stranger than to have two servants bringing in a gigantic melon about the size of a watermelon? Well, that's the other thing is, is we're seeing Augustus stand up to Livia, but in a it's still in a passive aggressive, petty, childish way, which is very much in his character. He's not like Livia, I'm the emperor, and I'm going to do what I do, and here's why, and this is what you've been doing. It's like, mm, well, why should I tell you? Mm, well, have some melon wrinkly, like it's <laughs> <laughs> because we all know melons prevent wrinkles, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it's extremely petty and it's extremely gratifying to see him have the upper hand and to and even though you know in your heart that he's it's too late for him to take control of the situation. Mm-hmm. You can't, you are hoping for him, but the all of this arguing and bickering and brinksmanship happens over a melon, literally as <laughs> he's cutting huge chunks of melon and just like um, 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 gnawing on them with his back <laughs> this- to the camera. <laughs> through most of it this is I, I have to assume that this is much the same way that in one of the early James Bond movies I forget which one it is they show him like going through customs and the music yeah. is like Ba-da-da-da! because to the British viewership of the time just international travel was such a luxury such a glamorous thing I wonder uh-huh. if there's still part of like in 70s Britain the idea of like fresh melon is just like check out how decadent these Romans are they can have fresh <laughs> melon whenever they want <laughs> It could be, but you know, it's as stagecraft. It's inc- I, I would love to know. Unfortunately, Jack Pullman, who wrote the screenplay, is no longer living. I would love to know who came up with this idea. Like, rather than just have them, because you know, we are in an episode now where we're starting to see certain uh, narrative techniques turn into motifs, turn into cliches. Like opening with Claudius crankily working on his book in his darkened <laughs> cardboard chamber. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, give me something. Put this in a different con- put give me something new. Maybe give him a, have this be in action a little bit. Maybe he's dangling from a guy line into his chamber like Mission Impossible or something. Like <laughs> and so to to frame this conversation around the eating of this melon with his with his back to the camera for most of it is like that's a real choice that somebody made and I think it works and I would love to hear what uh, what what inspired that? Well, it's just and unfortunately, like... unfortunately, the director of the series, Herbert Wise, also passed a few years ago, so we can't ask him. Right? But... He might he might have known. Maybe he wrote maybe he wrote it down and put it in a, in a leather tub and he put it in the cellar. <laughs> we won't find it for decades. But it's but a the... good thing if you're writing screenplays or teleplays or visual material, and 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 I would imagine this is true also for regular fiction. Like, give something to your characters to do. If you have a long bit of dialogue, give them yeah. a chore to do. Because it gives, you know, people talk to each other while they're doing things most of the time. It's not often that people just sit down and talk to each other in the fake garden. All right, anyway. Yeah, not every show can be in treatment. But uh, Bos- the- Boss the- Nass <laughs> negs his own wife by saying she's got wrinkles and then, wh- and then whistles off with that creepy whistle. And we cut to Livia's room. And Livia is now shaking down Lavilla because she's accusing, accusing Lavilla of narking on Livia, telling telling somehow Augustus knows that Livia's been up to some dirty tricks and Lavilla knows what Livia's been up to. So she accuses uh, Lavilla, but Lavilla says, no, it's not me. My brother. Germanicus wasn't even here. No, I meant Claudius. That fool. His brains are addled. He sees nothing and he hears nothing. No. It shows Livia judging other people 
the way she would judge herself, which is something we see a lot in certain public figures today, where she's like, everyone is out to get them uh, get out to get their own stuff. And if they're not, it's because they're a fool and they don't know enough to do it. So the fact that Claudia is not just his stammer or his limp, uh, but I think the fact that he is not actively plotting against other people is evidence to her that he is a fool and can't know anything. Right, exactly. She regards the world with the, the, the same, I won't say low opinion, but lowness that she inhabits. Yes. So, right. So she can't imagine that Claudius would do that. Would even know, would even notice what was going on. He's too dumb. He's too busy trying to climb up his too super tall wife. But now we know that Augustus knows something. And now we know that Livia knows that Augustus knows something. Setting, this, setting things in motion. And that's when we cut to Posthumus in his island hut. A new island <laughs> hut set. This one I will grant you. A little bit grimmer. Quite a bit grimmer than Tiberius's island hut set. <laughs> Tiberius is kind of an island villa. And this is more of an island shack. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's island shack. Soldiers walk in. Posthumus gets up. He's like, this is it. They've come to kill me. But... The berobed figure clutching his hood over his face who enters is not death at his door. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi chasing off the Tusken Raiders. <laughs> yeah, with a crate dragon call. Yep. Brian Blessed in this in this Jedi robe really looked like Obi-Wan Kenobi in that in that moment in Star Wars, a new a new hope episode four. There you go. That's all. It's just funny to me. No, it's not obviously Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's Boss Nass. Emperor Augustus himself, he's come in, he's, he's, he has made the surprise visit that exactly what Livia suspected he was going to do, and he's... Alongside his friend Maximus, who he introduces. Oh, right. (laughs) Right. He says, here's my friend Maximus, and Maximus is like, yo, and he's like, Maximus, please leave so we could talk. (laughs) Again, like, it's got to be a BBC make work job. Well, Maximus, this friend of his, was supposedly there with him, and this is his appearance here is to, is a very ham-handed setup for this character's semi-importance later on. But the way they do it is just like, yo. Anyway, you've established that you're here. Get out of here. There's there's no real reason for you to say anything else. I well, I'm glad to know that at least they're trying to be truthful to history mm-hmm. by adding this rando Quintus Fa- Fabius Maximus, my friend. Oh, by the way, my friend Quintus Fabius Maximus here. Hello, goodbye. Well, that's, that's like, thing. they call him Quintus, but I think his name was actually Paulus Fabius Maximus, and he was the son of Quintus Fabius Maximus the Elder. But that doesn't matter. They call him Quintus in the show, right? No, I would agree. That doesn't matter. So what I was going <laughs> to say is, <laughs> it. It, it heartens me that they are trying to stick close to a certain historical veracity. But at the same time, from a storytelling point of view, this dude does not need to be here. And I, oh, I, no, I fully believe that it is BBC make work in action. But so Augustus is uh, ashen faced at seeing Posthumus in his hut. He said, uh, you know, you, how, how thin you look, how pale. They didn't tell me it would be like this. And Posthum is like, what did you expect? A fat, jolly man full of laughs and jokes. And uh, it would be more convincing to me if this actor uh, had actually looked thinner and paler. <laughs> he, he looks like he's in really great shape. But, looks, uh... <laughs> yeah. I mean, so this is the actor. Uh, now I forget his name. Do you remember his name from last time? Who plays Posthumus? This is our John old friend Castle. John Castle. Right. That's old friend John Castle. From Robocop 3 and The Lion in Winter and so forth. Right. Yeah. I mean... I, I, John Castle did an amazing acting job in both of these episodes. Spoiler, this is his last one. <laughs> oh, it's tears now, is it? I never knew a man cry as easily as you do. <laughs> yes, tears come easily to me. I don't deny it. You're wonderful. Wonderful! 
What's my role now? To feel sorry for you? To cry for you? Your mistakes! Mistakes! Is that what you call them? You made mistakes and you think a few tears will put them right. Well, <laughs> bravo! Congratulations! You still have tears to shed. If he had showed up on set, like, if I, if I were the director, I would have said, you know what? Go go home and starve yourself for a couple of days. Like, really lean into this. He looks great. I was reading somebody else's uh, write-up of this episode. They mentioned that he pr- must have only enough shaving equipment to shave every few weeks because he's got stubble, but it's certainly not years of beard growth like he might yeah. have. Well, it's revealed he's been there for four years and he's not seen anyone except the guards. And he's really understandably mad. And Augustus is really understandably sad. And he bursts into tears. And Augustus, and Posthumus is like, I'm supposed to cry for you now? And, and Augustus says, mistakes have been made. Which, <laughs> is that the first phrasing of that? I mean, this is 1976, right? And that's mistakes were made became the excuse for the Iran-Contra scandal. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, more than 10 years later, I, I was just wondering, I, w- one time I was watching the pilot of Friends, the TV show Friends, and someone said, I think Chandler, it's a joke, Chan- Chandler says something a little bit awkward and goes, did I just say that out loud? And I'm like, that's where that thing came from. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Like, you know, and, and Phoebe, and I think in the same episode, says some says to Joey, I see what you did there. I'm like, well, I'm watching the archaeology of humor unfold in front of me. <laughs> I don't know. I just was taken by it. Never mind. Did they do that? Did they do the thing where someone falls down and then goes, "I'm okay"? <laughs> is that a thing? That's maybe my least favorite of those. You see it a lot in kids' yeah. uh, movies and cartoons. There, also, there is an episode in the first season of Friends where uh, Ross and Rachel are having a fight, and Ross inexplicably pulls out a huge melon <laughs> and sits with his back to the camera. Says, you should have more melon, Rachel. You'd get fewer wrinkles. <laughs> yeah, and then he puts a turkey on his head. Friends, okay. <laughs> Posthumus yells at him for a while, wah, 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 but at the end he's like, yeah, you know what, I will come back. <laughs> it's yeah. real family primal scream therapy that we're seeing. Like, this is a real family therapy moment between yeah. father and adopted son slash stepson. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, uh, okay, you know what, Posthumus, <laughs> easy. Like, I, I think that little hut looks pretty good, as I've said many times. <laughs> no, All I crave is for some daddy to order me to go take a permanent vacation <laughs> on, a Carib- on a Mediterranean island for four years that little hut is not as good as Tiberius's hut, but it's a pretty good hut. It's pretty good. And you know what? Four years is nothing that goes by in a second. You know, even when life expectancy is 29 or whatever it was in ancient Rome. It's be four years and now you're going to be emperor. Like, stop whining. So he eventually does stop whining. He said, all right, I'll come back to Rome and be emperor after you die. And Augustus says, yep, I'm going to get rid of Tiberius. I'm going to make you the heir. I'm going to put it in my will. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to wait, wait for a second until Tiberius is out of Rome, and then we'll bring you back to Rome. But is there time to wait? I don't think so. No, of course not, because Olivia, much like money, never sleeps. That's right. That's why we cut back to Olivia's room. She is meeting with the Queen Vestal. What is the Queen Vestal, Elliot? So this is the leader of the Vestal Virgins, which were kind of a combination. I've never been able to fully understand what they were. The College of the Vestals was like... This group of women that took care of sacred things and they weren't allowed to have – they're essentially nuns in a sense, but nuns that held a civic position. And the idea that was like, well, if Rome is going to be safe and Roman society is going to stay pure in what it is, then the College of the Vestals needs to be taken care of and we need women fulfilling this role. And they took – it says a 30-year vow of chastity and they were kind of the keepers of like state and civic – not law exactly, but like how things were supposed to be done. And it's this way in which Rome 
merged religion and civic society in a way that our country just doesn't the same way and not a lot of places do but they were they serve both a kind of civic and religious function but i've never been able to fully understand why they existed or what and i was not able to do enough research to get to that but anyway marble statues are painted in colors <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> right this is the important thing is the the queen vestal is retiring she's had a great career also the vestals Hang on. They, they are in charge of keeping these legal documents oh, safe. Oh, you know what? I never, I never put two and two together. I'm looking at this now. Sorry. That Vesta was the Roman version of Hestia, the goddess of the hearth. And so they were specifically priestesses of Vesta, and that's why they're called Vestal. But it's that, that must – so they're like – they're holding – they're basically keeping the home soul of Rome uh, in shape, you know. And so the will would, would be as a right. – probably as a personal legal document, they would have it. Okay. And marble statues are painted in bright colors. And, okay. So anyway <laughs> – so Livia runs one of the most uh, one of the most smoothest short cons of all time. Two women together in a tiny little conspiracy. <laughs> yes, that would certainly set our minds at rest. <laughs> but it has his seal on. Oh, but that's nothing. I have the use of his seal. I've had it for years. Like, just watching her play this woman like a liar is incredible. And I mean mm -hmm. a Roman L-Y-R-E liar. Bling, bling, bling. But she also plays her as a liar because she lies quite a bit. She lies to her and the and basically she says, hey, here's what happened. Uh, remember how when you started, when you took your oath, you really wanted to renovate the house of the Vestals. You wanted to re rebuild the house and there wasn't money for it. Well, I'd really love to help you out. And I think Augustus has left money for me in my will. And if he has, I think Augustus has left money for me in his will, I should say. And if he has, I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay for your renovation. And uh, the Vestals all excited or whatever. And she said, has he come by to make any changes in his will? Because Livia uh, has guessed what Augustus is up to. And the Vestal says, yes, indeed. And then Livia says, basically, she will call in the Roman property brothers and pay for the reno <laughs> if, the, if the Queen Vestal will let her have a look at Boss Nass's will, which Boss Nass has recently changed. And the Vestal knows that this is wrong, but she really wants those new countertops and that open living plan in the, in the Vestal house. Oh, she doesn't know she doesn't get to keep the furniture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she goes along with it. And so we know behind the scenes that Livia is going to gain possession of Augustus's will. Cut to Boss Nass's bedroom, which I don't think we've ever seen before, or it's been maybe the same, this may be the same room that uh, that Drusus and Tiberius were whacking the medicine ball back and forth at each other <laughs> in. I think that may have been the, the, the Wimnasium from episode one, repurposed now for Boss Nass's bedroom. He's suffering, he's ailing, he's lying down. Guess what? Funny coincidence. Now, all of a sudden, he's got terrible stomach troubles. As mm -hmm. soon as Livia starts to suspect him, he's starting to feel bad. His doctor, who's named Montanus, which is a great name, tells him to only eat milk products and eggs and give up work. He should take a vacation. Montanus is going to go talk to Livia about it. Dr. Montanus, Roman doctor. That's a spinoff of this. <laughs> oh, that would have been a great show. Dr. Montanus, Roman doctor. Doctor, doctor, what should I do? Well, let me look at this goose liver. Mm, it's not looking good. Are you going to inspect my body? I don't have to. Dr. Mantanus, MD, would be the Quincy of Roman, ancient Rome. <laughs> but Dr. Montanus is not as, and now children do not know what I'm talking about, the, the Jack Klugman TV show Quincy, MD, about mm -hmm. the crime-solving physician. Back then on TV, you just couldn't trust the police, so everyone was solving crimes. Doctors, uh, 
uh, mod squads. Um, what was what was Barnaby Jones? Was he somebody? I think Barnaby Jones was a trapezist <laughs> who solves crimes. Uh, let's let's find out. Uh, Father Dowling, he would solve crimes, right? Yeah, Father Dowling, uh, brother Cadfail. Was a was a middle e- medieval monk who solved crimes, played by Derek Jacobi. Oh, Barnaby a, Jones was just a just a te- just a detective. All right, just, never mind. Just a detective, Barnaby Jones. <laughs> what was that about the medieval monk that solved crimes? Cadfail, brother Cadfail. Oh, I don't know C-A-D- that show. I I know that it exists, and I, I'm sure it's brilliant. It's Derek Jacobi playing a medieval monk who solves crimes. Oh, because so, that's basically crimes. what uh that's basically what uh name of the rose is too. Name, is name, a medieval yeah. monk solving that's crimes. Right. That's right. Elliot Elliot Kalen accusing. Derek Jacoby of being a ripoff artist right here on the podcast. No, nice. Umberto Echo. Very much uh, accusing Umberto Echo of ripping up off Brother Cadfail. No, well, you know what? They may have been contemporaneous like uh, Newton and uh, Leibniz discovering the calculus. Yeah, or Man Thing and Swamp Thing. Anyway, Dr. Montanus <laughs> is not as good as a detective as Brother Cadfail, Barnaby Jones, or Quincy and D. Because he's just like, you know what? I think you're just sick. Have a cold compress and continue to suffer. And as he suffers, we cut to just outside the door of the bedroom where we see Livia listening to her husband suffer and staring off into space and getting drunk, just drinking wine. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like that she has to poison her husband this way. And there's so and then there's a scene between uh, Augustus and his friend, uh, Maximus. He comes back here for a moment. Right. And he goes. Augustus is like, I know I'm going to die because we saw an omen and Livia went to the omen master and he said I would die in a hundred days. And his friend is like, uh, how do you know it's not a hundred months or that you'd live to be a hundred? And Augustus is like, oh yeah, you're right. I feel better. <laughs> and he smiles. <laughs> Let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to hear more about the fate of Boss Nass. We're going to also hear a little later in the program from our producer, Jordan Cowling, uh, who talked to her mom about I, Claudius. And uh, we'll take more dispatches from the Empire. So stay tuned. Do you tune into this? I don't know. Keep listening. Mission Control, this is Rocket Ship One. Come in, Mission Control. This is Mission Control. Go ahead. We have incoming, and it looks big. Can you identify? It looks like some sort of pledge drive. Affirmative. It's Max Fun Drive. That's a verified Max Fun Drive. Countdown to Max Fun Drive is initiated. Can you project a time to intercept? Based on the current trajectory, Max Fun Drive will be here from March 16 to March 27. March 16 to March 27. Roger. Rocket Ship One, can you confirm a visual on common Max Fun Drive phenomena, such as the best episodes of the year, bonus content, and special gifts for new and upgrading monthly members? We have a visual. Great episodes, bonus content, premium gifts confirmed, and more. Sure sounds quiet down there. Mission Control, what's your status? All systems go, Rocket Ship One. Just catching up on our favorite Max Fun shows so we can tune into Max Fun Drive episodes between March 16 and March 27. Over and out. <laughs> iPodius, this podcast is brought to you by you, the Max Fun member and listener, and we really appreciate you for it. We also appreciate Acorn TV, who are also helping us bring this show to you. Acorn TV is the perfect partner for us because, among other things, you can watch iClaudius on Acorn TV. But that's not the only show at all. Uh, John, I know you have a special sentimentality for Acorn TV. Please tell us all about how great it is. Well, you know, Elliot, I'm a fan of, of Les Moustaches, the mustaches. 
I'm also a fan of the little gray cells. That is to say, the uh, my brain matter. And so you know I'm a Poirot fan. Well, Acorn TV has the Poirot collection, David Suchet's definitive pre-Kenneth Branagh performance as Hercule Poirot, the famous Agatha Christie Belgian sleuth. And, on, and beyond that, uh, they have Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, one of my favorite movies from the 90s, mm-hmm. starring Gary Oldman, who also rocks a good mustache now, but he's clean-shaven in that movie. And this has nothing to do with mustaches, but I will say, uh, Mary Beard, the famous and wonderful historian of ancient Rome and a British television presenter, has a whole show on Caligula. If you want to go on a deep dive of Caligula, which we're, we're about to get into on iClaudius, Acorn TV is there for you. What have you been watching on Acorn TV lately? Uh, I've been watching uh, Foils War. I just I started watching The Detectorists off of your recommendation. And, oh, boy, oh, boy. And I found that re- One of the best. really good. And, of course, uh, Doc Martin, which I like to watch alongside my mom's watching. And then we can talk about the episodes because she loves that show. So Acorn TV isn't just bringing the best in... British and English language from around the world program to you. It's bringing families together. In, in this case, my family. Very nice. Here's one that we can watch together, Elliot. The Harry Bikers pubs that built Britain. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I, I guess the Harry, the Harry, I'm really into this. In this fine slice of working class history, the quote, Harry Bikers, professional cooks and travel buddies, Cy King and Dave Myers journey all over Britain, visiting the pubs, inns and taverns, that have been the site of some of history's most famous and notorious events, from the Great Fire of London to the Edinburgh haunts of body snatchers Burke and Hare. I'm going to check out these hairy bikers. Of course I am. Yeah, sounds amazing. I'm going to watch this tonight. Oh, so how do we get Acorn TV? Well, it's very easy to do, and uh, we'll tell you. If you want to see all these amazing shows from uh, the English-language world, Britain, Australia, Ireland, and beyond, featuring some of TV's biggest stars, just visit www.acorn.tv or download the Acorn TV app on your favorite device and use code PODIUS, title of this show but without the I and the comma, just P-O-D-I-U-S, for an extended 30-day free trial. That's acorn.tv, code PODIUS, for an extended 30-day free trial, Acorn TV, world-class TV from Britain and beyond. Hey, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. Together we're The Flophouse. A podcast where we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. Movies like Space Hobos, Into the Outer Reaches of the Unknown and the Things That We Don't Know, the movie, and also, who's that grandma? Zazzle Zippers, Breakdown 2, and Backhanded Compliment. Elvis is a policeman. Baby Crocodile and the Happy Twins. Leftover Potatoes? Station Wagon 3. Herbie Goes to Hell. New episodes available every other Saturday. Available at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Okay, we're back. We just we just left the scene in which uh, Augustus has been cheered up by Rando Pal Maximus <laughs> because Augustus saw a bolt of lightning melt the sea off of Caesar on a statue or something. I don't know what the statue was. It probably was painted brightly colored. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And he took that to be an omen, and uh, and Livia uh, took it to an oracle and agreed that the sea, which is 100 in Roman numerals, 
uh, indicates uh, being melted in this way means that he's going to die in 100 days. And Maxis says it could be 100 weeks. It could be 100 years. It could be 100 decades. It could be 100 (laughs) seconds. Look, it's a bolt of lightning hitting a a letter. It's nothing. (laughs) Doesn't quite go that far. Elliot, this is around the time when I was watching this with my son last night when I started to fall asleep. Uh-oh. We, we oh, started boy. it way too late. By the end of the episode, a very momentous episode, by the way, my, my son was constantly prodding me. So my memory of this episode is a little bit cloudy and enshrined with and entwined, I should say, with with, with my dreams of last night, which involved once again trying to use a website to make an airplane reservation and not succeeding. <laughs> it's my worst nightmare. <laughs> I have over a lot of dreams like that where again. I have to find something and my eyesight has gone bad and I just can't right. find the thing. Can you can you take over from here? Can you tell me what happened? I would I would love to. I'll do my best. My, uh, my notes and my memory are not quite as detailed as yours, but I will do my best. And I appreciate the great honor bestowed on me by allowing me to continue from here. Anyway, as we said, Augustus, he's he's very sick. He doesn't know what to do. His friend essentially talks him in, into feeling better in a way that really shows you, it's literally like a, it makes me, it's like the invention of lying or whatever that the movie is that, uh, that uh, what's his name from uh, The Office did, where it's you just tell people like, oh, you're going to be fine. Oh, yeah, no one's ever lied to me, so okay. David Brent. David Brent, yeah. Uh, why can't I remember his real name? David Brent's good can't. Name. Why can't I remember his name? <laughs> He's he has a name and co created the office with Stephen Merchant. Yes. And that and uh You know what? I'll look it up. You keep <laughs> okay. talking. Uh so so played we, Livia is increasingly drinking because she is going through a real we know that Augustus is most likely being poisoned by her. And for the first time she seems to be having real emotional difficulty with what she's doing. Uh and Claudius goes to talk to her, and she is very mean to Claudius. She's like just really nasty to him, and it's the first of uh, a cu- another time of a couple times in this episode that she's just really mean to him. And I'm having trouble remembering exactly what she said to him. But oh, I remember what she said. David Brent was played by Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais. She told him that she's like, what? "How could you not remember that, Claw Claw Claudius?" Yeah, idiot head, as she calls him <laughs> later in the episode. Ah, we were the idiot heads. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for screaming into your podcast the answer. <laughs> the we finally time. heard you. Yeah, we finally heard you. Oh, my goodness. So, so uh, Livia is is drunk. She's mean to Claudius. Uh, and Augustus, he manages to get better. What's his secret? What's his secret uh, uh, cure that he's come up with? Figs. Figs off of that he same fig figs tree. off that tree. Only figs that he has picked. He won't let anyone else touch it. And it miraculously... That cures him of this mysterious ailment that the doctor think may, thought maybe it was an ulcer. They didn't know. Uh, and Livia is frustrated by this. Uh, it was hard enough emotionally for her to poison Augustus once. Now she's got to do it again. And she plots with Tiberius, who is very resentful and has this amazing, petulant old Tantrum. man who's really a, a teenager breakdown that's just like a wonder to behold. And the way that, yeah. uh, the way that he plays it is the way that George Baker plays it is really amazing. You never liked me. Never. Thirty years I've run his errands for him. I've fought on his bloody frontiers, collected his taxes. He's never once put his hand on my arm and said, thank you. What would I have done without you? Now he sends me off to Illyricum and he doesn't even plan a farewell dinner. Not even a goodbye. 
Just get on your horse and ride. And yeah. Livia is just been, is 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 truly drunk out of her mind in this one. And the way Sion Phillips plays drunk is perfect because, of course, you know the secret. I believe is Meryl Streep who said this, and I mean not, but like when you play drunk, you don't play drunk. You you have to remember that when you people who are drunk are trying to pretend that they're not drunk. Yes. So their movements are incredibly controlled. And for and for Cyan Phillips to find the physicality of of Livia being drunk, a person who is always completely in control of every muscle and molecule in her body, trying to hold on to that control in this moment is really some super duper acting in here. As is George Baker's tantrum when he learns that Augustus has named Posthumus his heir and the Tiberius has been thrown over again. And now they're going to have to do some more dirty work in order to, to get this done. And Tiberius is like, I've had it. And he truly feel that he's had it. He's, he's so he's so resentful. And you really get the sense of this guy who, like, for years has been the tool of other people, specifically his mother, and disliked by a lot of people and dislikes himself. And finally, the thing that was going to make it all worthwhile, this thing he doesn't even seem to really want that much. Being emperor is even that's been taken away from him. And he's like, oh, what's the point? Like, what? Why? Yeah. Like, he's just I'm sick of it. his rope. Yeah, I will retire. I've gone away before. I'll go away again. And she says, don't go too far. <laughs> you can go, but don't go too far because you might have to come back fast because she's got a plan. Mm -hmm. So that's that's when we cut to the other garden, which is where mm -hmm. Claudius is hanging out with his book. Nighttime garden. Nighttime garden. And Boss Nass is like, oh, what a pleasant garden. I've never been here before. Well, anyway, <laughs> I'm feeling much better because I'm eating unpoisoned figs all the time. <laughs> And now I know you're my friend and you've been my friend all along. Thank you. Germanicus <laughs> told me that you told him that my wife is a murderer. Thank you. I was you wrong will... about you. And, he, and then it's like, and he's so kind. And he's like, we'll talk again. We'll talk many times. And of course, yeah. you know, we'll talk more later is my favorite line of the whole podcast. Excuse me. Miniseries. Excuse me mini yeah tv show about which this podcast is about ricky gervais struck again but when he says it here we'll talk many times it's so bittersweet because of course you know this is it for him like yeah. it's just and it's i mean talk about performances like the change of who augustus is now that he understands what's been happening is so, it, it comes out in his face so beautifully and and you do i mean i found myself just heartbroken here because you do hope you i hope for him even though he's kind of been terrible i've always hoped for him because i guess because i i see myself in him because i talk that way all the time yeah and he's he's there's something about seeing someone who has brought very much a lot of this on himself by being as posthumous said earlier like willfully oblivious to things going on around him right that now all these things that he thought were senseless tragedies afflicting him have a reason, have yeah. one reason, and he knows that that can be dealt with. And so there's hope in him in a way that we've seen him through most of the series either yeah. boisterously foolish or pretending to be boisterously foolish, but almost always vexed and frustrated and confused by what's going on around him. And now finally, you know, the scales have and fallen hurt, from his eyes. And deeply, and deeply hurt. Yes. Too, yeah. You know? It's, it's like... He has realized for the first time that he is not at the center of the universe 
and that other people are doing things around him that can affect him. And that's been a liberating realization, you know, yeah. for him. Yeah. Uh, and you watch and he's so overpowering in this scene. And I and Claude and Derek Jacoby is so good at seeming as someone who is not quite sure how to take what's going on in front of him. And I wondered how much of that was Claudius being talked to by Augustus as an equal for the first time and how much it was yeah. Derek Jacoby just like, like dealing with this onslaught of emotion that Brian Blessed is like thrusting upon him. I mean, it was never my intention to rule for so long, but I don't know the things, they just didn't work out. I kept wanting to retire. I mean, your father wanted me to retire. I don't know, it, uh, it just never happened. So many things turn out different from the way you hoped. It's a powerful performance from Brian Blessed, but to imagine being the person who he is literally looking at and focused on through that whole scene is, is in a way, like, frightening to me. But now we cut to a casino scene. Casino <laughs> side mission. You know, they've got to go rescue those animals that are being ridden around on this casino planet. Boss uh, Nass has to go to the casino <laughs> to find the code breaker. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Was that why they were there? I don't even remember why they ostensibly, were there. Ostensibly. Ostensibly, that's why they were there. They they were there to show off all those cool Star Wars meets the 30s designs, which I did like. Uh, that was, look, I'm a big fan of The Last Jedi. Hello, Ryan Johnson. Anyway, Boss Nass, uh, that is to say Augustus, is is having the time of his life gambling. He's happy for once in his life. But what happens, Elliot? Uh, well, well, he's. I'll mention that he's being a real chairman of the board. He's gambling with his friends, and they're like, we're out of money, Augustus. And he goes, yeah, have some, have some. And they go, but when we win, you let us keep it. And when you we lose, you give it back to us. And he's like, oh, pshaw. And it's one of those things where it's so beautifully done, I think, where it's like he thinks he's being this super generous king. And they are like, yeah, we want to go home, but we're in your thrall. We kind of have to do whatever you say. <laughs> right. So, so we're not – we're going to pretend we're having fun. But suddenly he is stricken. Oh, no, just at the height of his gambling joy. He's, his his tummy hurts. He goes to vomit in a corner. And Olivia has a look on her face like, here we go again. You know, here like, it oops. Comes. She, know she knows. She uh, knows. This is, she, the, this is the end. And what follows through till the end of this episode is – like masterpiece scene after masterpiece scene. And then oh, yeah. a, like a, ser a series of assassinations that are so grim and hard to watch and yet so perfectly set up and inevitable feeling. It is a death march kind of like the end of uh, or that that sequence in Godfather 2 where the guy just takes care of everybody. Or in Godfather 1 during the during the baptism scene when they're they're taking care of everybody too. Or in Godfather 3. <laughs> Or in Godfather Pizza when During Herman Cain had to fire his campaign staff. So Augustus is refusing food or medicine because he's afraid of being poisoned. He's only eating those figs, but uh oh, Livia knows about those figs now. And there's this amazing scene where he is lying in bed and we are on Brian Blessed's face for the entirety of the scene. And it must be, yes. what, five minutes at least? Yeah. Yeah. And Livia is talking off camera and telling him opening herself up to him in a way that talking there at first she is speaking more generally and then eventually basically just confessing everything and talking yeah. about how what she did was for rome what she did was for the empire the, the empire she's a claudian she has to be a claudian that's her family lineage and they were they were not republicans they're imperials and is just like so emotionally naked in front of him for the first time while we're watching brian blessed absorbing this and then dying in front of our yeah. eyes and it's really yeah. like the scene is just so beautiful it's amazing you should have listened to me more you should have. you know that don't you 
I've been right more often than you have, you know. But because I was a woman, you pushed me into the background. Oh, yes. Yes, you did. And all I ever wanted was for you and for Rome. Nothing I ever did was for myself. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time that Livia can truly be open. And she can only be because she is speaking to one of her victims. Mm-hmm. The victim is someone she genuinely loves, although her 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 cruelty is such that she will get rid of someone she genuinely loves to further her goal, whatever that is in this and case. And she's convinced herself that what she is doing is not for her own self-aggrandizement, but is for some greater purpose that she has to do it, even right. if she, part of her regrets doing it, but part of her wants to do it. And the... The, the writing in it and the performing of it. And it's one of those things like you want to see Livia so badly while she's talking, but the show is refusing to show it hurt you. Yeah. 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 And what Livia is because off screen right now, Livia's eating a melon for sure. <laughs> but that's why she's, she's like everything I did yeah. for Rome. They, shot, nom, nom, they, nom. Shot, they shot it from two different directions and she's eating a melon. And I read that the director was like, you know what? Let's just leave it. We've had a melon in here already. He's Let's like, just leave it on. You know, we can't use any of this. We'll leave it on Brian Blessed's incredible face. And this is the first feminist argument that Livia makes for herself, which is, you know, it's it's powerful that it comes out here and it gets echoed later on. And it's something that's a little, it's slightly self-serving, but slightly not. And I just wanted to, uh, this is in the, the modern day uh, I, Claudius, Game of Thrones, there were people who I know got mad because in the end it became kind of like a war of violent women attacking each other. Whereas, and that seemed like a non-feminist fantasy, basically, that, right. oh, of course the women go crazy at the end. And I remember talking to my wife and saying, like, I can't think of a more feminist reading than this woman wants nothing more than to rule, and she believes she has the right to rule, and she's trying to free people, and at every step of the way, men in society keep trying to smack her down. So, of course, she's going to react with rage, and this society that is so deeply misogynist has driven her crazy. Yeah. It's like a... So that's kind of a little bit Olivia here, too. Like, if she had been a man, she could have not done all this subterfuge and just asserted her right to be part of the power structure. But it's been impossible, so she's got to get power by poisoning. Right. Well, she entered the power structure by presumably offing her husband and then marrying Augustus, right? Mm-hmm. And she knows and believes deeply, and this is what this batch is like, I'm, I would have been better at this than you were. Yes. And one wonders if it were, isn't true. I mean, it's certainly the show asks you to wonder maybe she would have been a better emperor than any of them. And he dies right in front of us. It's really crazy how how amazingly lifelikely dead he seems. Uh, and she briefly talks to Tiberius. And can I just say can, you've already mentioned this, but Brian Blessed's performance, which has no lines in this scene. Yes. As you see him suffering, you see him physically suffering. You see him emotionally suffering as he takes in and registers what she's saying, and then you see him die, and. I've I've had to play dead on screen and it is not easy at all and it is not fun to do and it is not easy to do convincingly and I feel like you watch a human die and this is like a kind of terrifying thing to say so you know care, careful out there kids <laughs> but you you see the moment when the life goes out of his eyes and that's and then- 
incredible acting. Yeah, and then he stays dead through the rest of it. Yeah, there's no there's no shudder or breath or the eye twitch or anything. It's like it's really right. astounding. That's that's re- it's really hard to control your body physically that way. I was not able to do it. That's why I was not cast in I Claudius. I guess. Also, you were how old at the time when I when I was acting pretending to die? Oh no no when you when I Claudius was made. <laughs> oh, I was um, I I guess I was uh, six. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's probably another reason that, and also you were in America, not in England, where I assume they were auditioning the kids. But anyway, there's lots of well, reasons. I, I know, but I mean, my agents could have put me up for it. That's all I'm <laughs> that's saying. That's true. That's a good point. They knew your interest. So. Like I would have, re- I would have put myself on tape. Whatever. And and uh, Livia is like, hey, Tiberius, congratulations, I guess. But she's she's pretty ruined by this whole thing. Yeah, and this is also, I mean, boom. So now she comes outside. She says to Tiberius that Augustus is dead. She's crying, like, Cyan Phillips is crying real tears here. Mm-hmm. This is for real. This is an acting, you know, th- this was the, the other form of acting that's really, really hard, is crying real tears. I'm able to do it now. I didn't think I could do it for a long time, but as an actor, I am able to do it now because I am in my late 40s and my children are disappearing before my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got something real to draw on. Okay. Yeah. It's like, you know, my, I'm like Bruce Banner in the Avengers, my secret is I'm always crying. <laughs> <laughs> but her, like what what we see here is that Livia is ge- like you. I feel like she's genuinely sad. Oh yeah, I think so. Right? She, this is something that it has broken her heart that she's had to do this, and for whatever you know, she may have married him for who knows what combination of political ambition and possible real attraction but this is for better or worse you know she's lived with this man for decades and decades as his wife and to see him go is still a huge part of her life the biggest part of her life in a lot of ways being torn from her even if she's the one doing the tearing and so i think she's yeah there's genuine heartbreak here even though she's the one who killed him i must go and see the senators and the consuls from rome stay with him till i return By the way, don't touch the figs. And when, when, when she tells Tiberius and Tiberius says the earth will shake, the way George Baker says that line gives you a whole other dimension to like this what have I done moment. Do you know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. you believe T- Tiberius is emotional as well. He's, he's been, for better or for worse, part and parcel of the high level administration of this empire which is the entire known world you know not the entire known world obviously but their entire world and he's taking it into himself what this means for this institution that he's served do you know what i mean as well as whatever it means to him personally and in both cases you're like oh yeah this this is an act of grave consequence and they are both dealing with it very emotionally tiberius knowing that he's going to become emperor now too yeah, and this is this is a matter not just it's no longer a matter of like family rivalry. It, this is a historic moment that they have brought yeah. to being. And yeah, uh, exactly. But right. she's still Livia is still uh it has enough wherewithal to tell Tiberius as he's leaving, don't touch the figs. Yes. Because she figured out that he was eating those figs and feeding himself on those figs and che- and cheating or poisoning with the figs. So she painted them with poison. Yeah, just so. like those those playing cards painting the flowers in Alice in Wonderland. She just went outside in the middle of the night with her bucket of poison paint and was just painting those figs with poison. And right. you'd think you'd notice when all the squirrels around, there's just all these dead squirrels lying around the fig tree who were yeah. also being poisoned. But 
I guess that didn't it didn't occur to him. I don't know. Little known fact in in ancient Rome, figs were actually painted brightly colors. Oh, bright colors. I can't even so say no, it. No wonder he didn't. Like the ninth ninth callback of that thing, and I can't even say it. Ricky Gervais, jeez. Uh, so now it's daytime, and uh, Livia Livia lies to the members of the Senate who have come to visit Augustus. She goes, "Oh, Augustus is sleeping right now," and they leave. And when they part, who's behind them? Oh boy, it's. Patrick Stewart. We'll take a break now. We'll be back in a moment with a visit from our producer, Jordan Cowling, and some dispatches from the Empire. You're listening to I, Podius, with I, John Hodgman. And I, Elliot Kalin. All right, Adam. Uh, Maximum Fun wants us to record like a promo to tell people that they should listen to The Greatest Generation. You want to do that? No, I am tired of all the extra work. I just wanted to talk about Star Trek with my friend. I think it would be good to like try and get some new listeners by appealing to the audiences of other shows. Like this, this will only take a minute or two. It could be good for us. We sit down for an hour every week and talk about a Star Trek episode and make a bunch of idiotic fart jokes about it. It's embarrassing. If it got out that we made this show, I think it would make us unemployable. Adam, I have bad news for you. We have tens of thousands of listeners at MaximumFun.org. Oh my god. I think I'm going to throw up. The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. Every Monday on MaximumFun.org. I'm really going to be sick. Hey, everybody. This is just a reminder that all these episodes of iPodius have been pre-recorded, including all the letters. So when you send me letters at Hodgman at MaximumFun.org, I enjoy them. The world cannot unless... You want to post or repost them at the Maximum Fun subreddit on the Reddit website. The Maximum Fun subreddit is a subreddit on Reddit where people talk about Maximum Fun shows, including iPodius. And I've been using it a lot, getting in there and answering people's questions and saying thank you for their comments. Uh, It's a really fun community, and we're doing a lot of iPodius talk over there. So if you have memories of watching iClaudius in Latin class or in a weird moment with your mom or dad when you were a kid, uh, just think to maybe go over there if you want. Reddit.com slash r slash Maximum Fun. That's Reddit.com slash r slash Maximum Fun. Look for the Judge John Hodgman discussions. Look for the Flophouse discussions. Look for the iPodius discussions. And discuss. Thanks. This is another moment where I'm like, I I feel really, really like worried for myself because what I'm trying to remember is the theme from Star Trek: The Next Generation, and all I can think of is the theme from Jurassic Park. It's like ba 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 Thank you so much, Jerry Goldsmith, by the way. And so that, but we're partly they part, and it's this astonishing entrance for Seginus, the the Roman general, played here by a a preferred on the top of his head, Patrick Stewart. A very fuzzy Patrick Stewart. He's actually got hair on top of his head. But even though this is not, this is your daddy's Patrick Stewart, actually. <laughs> There's just the one. It's not your it's... Patrick Stewart. 
that you no, remember it's my from Patrick the- Stewart would be Professor X from the X-Men movies. Right. It's not your Patrick Stewart from your Star Treks or your, or your X-Men's or your Green Rooms or your Blunt Talks. Mm-hmm. Or uh, was what was on that star- one where he's starring like, John Hodgman on Stars? He's, mm-hmm. What? He's, the one where, where he's a bad guy who takes over a, like a private school. Was it Masterminds or something Masterminds, like that? Masterminds, right. Is he um, in Conspiracy Theory, right? Isn't he's he the in people Conspiracy doctor Theory. Yep, yep, yep. He, was, he did that run of uh, Beckett plays with uh, i think ian mckellen on broadway for a little bit best friend ian mckellen yep Mm -hmm. yeah that's true all those things are true but it's hard to it's hard to recall i mean we'll have to do a whole thing on patrick stewart at some point because patrick patrick stewart and the the character uh you said you said sejanus uh, the the characters in uh, whatchamacallit i claudius usually say sejanus a sejanus Whatever I'm not I don't know It's ancient Rome They wouldn't have uh, I mean they, they wouldn't know they're, they're, the, they're the British people Who speak the Roman language They would right. know Right <laughs> But uh, one thing is easier To remember about Patrick Stewart Than the other Aside from the fact That he's awesome One of the One of the things That's easier to remember Is that he had this Huge long career As a character actor In movies and television Long before the Star Trek The Next Generation mm-hmm. And if you were a, a movie nerd Of a Of a kind Like me you know, when he walks onto the uh, bridge of the Starship Enterprise in TNG, you're going to think to yourself, oh, he was uh, he was that knight in Excalibur, John Borman's Excalibur. Very visually distinctive looking actor who you see and you remember him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I was like, oh, he's he's the it's the, it's the doctor from Life Force. Yeah, exactly. But oh, the other thing it's Gurney lo- Halleck from Dune. Yeah, that's right. Gurney Halleck from Dune. Of course, that's the other guy that he was. And, you know, uh, he but the life force, I think, is a better example and Dune as well of how after or during and after Star Trek, the next generation, Patrick Stewart's on screen film acting career did not gel for a long period of time. It was oh, yeah. bit parts like conspiracy theory. It was bit parts in different other movies. And I was starting to think like this great guy like me is not going to work out for him. But then, of course, Professor X came along and made him into the design and appropriately the the true movie star that that he is. But that's, well, I think that's, I think yeah. there's a certain he has so much presence, and even just in this moment, he's barely on screen in this episode. But he has such a re- dominant presence, and it's such a big force of of stature that he has that he just carries. That like it's hard for him to play a regular person. Like yeah. he's either got to play the captain of a spaceship or the telepathic leader of a bunch of mutants or a knight or a or you know some kind of space general or something like it's you can't right. he's it's he's not going to be able to slip back and forth between uh ordinary parts you know the same well, way that like like Brian Blessed can play, can really only play like big big parts you yeah know? Brian Blessed can only play Augustus or Boss Nass or and, what's his, oh, what's, and in what's his character in Flash Gordon Haw- the the leader of the Hawkmen in Flash Gordon Gordon's alive <laughs> Gordon's alive. See, I can remember that, but like, I can't remember Ricky Gervais's name. <laughs> no. I can't remember the th- the theme song from Star Trek: The Next Generation. And much, incredibly, to my shame, I I went on the Patrick Stewart thing. I I couldn't pull a Gurney Halleck from Dune. I, I went with Excalibur. Like, the, wow. I mean, that's, that's the more not, that's the more classy one, I guess, the more sophisticated yeah, one. Yeah, but it's just it's not good anyway. I mean, we're all we're all hurtling towards death, and we're hurtling towards the end of this episode because <laughs> Patrick Stewart is, arrives. He's wearing his cool his cool gladiator outfit with his uh, uh, napkin tied around his neck, <laughs> and he's got ha- hair on his head. But it's yeah, still Patrick Stewart. It's, it's still electric. <laughs> 
And Livia says, you're the son of such and such that was referred to me. He goes, mm-hmm. And she goes, you know what to do? And he goes, mm-hmm. And the minute he said, and the minute he nods and says he knows what to do, you know what he's got to go do. Boom. He's going over to Posthumus's island hut. <laughs> Posthumus had said in the earlier island hut sequence that he had spent the four years waiting for someone to come kill him, that he thought that, that when Augustus arrived in the earlier scene that that it was just going to be someone to finally come kill him. And finally his wish has come true. Cause <laughs> I don't know if I call Patrick it a wish. <laughs> Patrick Stewart comes in and wordlessly stabs him in the stomach. And this is such a profound emotional moment. You appreciate just how cruel a twist this is to this plot that you were t- tricked into getting hopeful for. Posthumous is now literally posthumous. Patrick Stewart is on the scene representing a new order if only we had tape of our producer, Jordan Cowling's mom, Avis, telling us what she thought of this performance. But that would be impossible, right? No, it's very possible because we have technology. He was such a hunk in this, too. Talk more about that. Well, I mean, he was. He was tall. He was good looking. You know, he, he was he was in his prime. Not that he ever was not ever in his prime, but he was really in his prime prime. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so things are starting to come together for me. I'm thinking this is this Patrick Stewart uh, obvious infatuation that you have, that that's the really the whole reason behind why you are into this 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 series. Correct. It could be. It could be. I mean, you may be pulling off a layer that I have have deeply um, hidden and submerged in my subconscious. Thank you. <laughs> you're quite you're quite welcome. Uh <laughs> Let's let's move on because that makes that makes me super uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was Jordan Cowling, our producer, and her mom Avis, the greatest, the greatest pair. What what scene of gravity could possibly follow this that could complement it? How about the dumb murder of Maximus? <laughs> How about a scene that is essentially a repeat of this scene? Killing, killing Maximus, who's also knew about Livia, so therefore she sent and well, he to was kill him. he was the he was the and he was the only witness to Augustus's new will, so he's right. got to be removed. He was at right. the scene. He was there when he visited Posthumus, and right. the uh, but it's it is a killing that is such a yeah. It's like what, such tragedy an anticlimax. Is re- tra- tragedy is repeated as farce, but in this case, it's scene to scene. And Maximus, when they stab him, like his eyes go crossed. He's like, oh. <laughs> Like literally, it's like this, this, this like horrible, penetrative, intimate murder between two great actors, and then cut to a piece of cardboard that a that a, um, a faceless centurion goes dunk 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 on, and the guy opens it goes yes, it's like Maximus, <laughs> <laughs> no. like, why? Hey, there's a beautiful red cardinal outside my window. It's a kind of bird. All right, moving on. But luckily, this episode does not end in pure, dumb anticlimax, but in fact, it ends in climax, climax. After all of these intense scenes, I think this may be the best episode of the series, honestly. I'll see if I change my mind as we go through it, but I remember so much of this, even though I was falling asleep. On the I, mean, I definitely feel like, as I'm watching it one by one, the episodes feel like they're getting better and gaining force as they go, and yeah. it is going to be hard for them to recover from Augustus not being a character in the show anymore, but I'm right. curious that I know that well, Tiberius that gets, becomes a open- super madman, so... Yeah, as we open this as we open this episode, it, it starts with this motif that already feels a little stale, of Claudius writing, but then it has it has moments of real invention, like the melon, for example, 
You know what? That probably was Brian Blessed's idea. It's like, what if I eat a melon? <laughs> like, well, we don't really need that. No, get the melon. It's the it's the one time they took his suggestion of I should be eating a melon in this scene, and they actually ran with it. <laughs> After he suggested it for almost every scene. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how about as I'm dying, melon? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, just, Herbert, Herbert, I only have two more scenes, really, before I'm just lying there. Can't you, can't you give me the melon in this one? All right, all right. Oh, yeah, okay, Brian, we'll, we'll, we'll let you have it this time. Oh, yes. But there is a moment of repetition and echoing that is, that is more than just laziness and cliche. Earlier in, in this episode where... Livia is outside the door of Augustus and she and the listener can hear Augustus screaming and she's just staring out into space drinking wine. And it was an echo of Augustus refusing to see his daughter, Julia, after he had banished her and sitting there and staring out into space as she as she suffered and knowing that he would never see her again. Mm-hmm. So so there is that. But all of the great Livia scenes are topped by this last one between Livia and Claudius as he comes in to pay his condolences. He is a god. And so shall I be one day. I prophesy. And here's another prophecy. If Jove ever melts the sea off your name, what's left will turn out to mean jackass. Bye-bye, claw-claw. And she openly mocks him. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, 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 is a, it is a counterpiece to the scene in the garden where she is cruel to him. But now the cruelty is amped even further. Yes. Well, now she's, it's like she's gone. That emotional chasm that she, she was in, she's crossed it. And now the, she, she loves nothing and cares about nothing. And he goes, oh, they're reading the will. And Livy goes, they think they are. And like she's so assured of Claudius's idiocy that she allows right. herself that little moment to of pride to show where she's essentially admitting, oh, yeah, I, I, I pulled a fast one on this one. And she's just so mean to him and talks about, yeah, they're yeah. going to vote him a god and they're going to name me a god someday, too. Hmm. Well, you're just and and just like ends up laughing and laughing at him. Right. At how what a just it's it's a. The moment where she, I, she must feel it like ultimate triumph and she's been presented with this guy who is she thinks is so worthless. And so she can just kind of like really unlo- unleash on him. And it's really horrible. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, at one point she says, you know, she she walks him through everything that's happening. And in a way, it's sort of like one of one of those one of those tricks that the that this production uses in order to not sh- not show battles and not show big set pieces. Yes. Is that he comes in and they're like they're debating whether you know whether or not to make augustus a god and she goes oh they're debating are they she knows that the outcome is certain that she has put everything in motion and it has now finally come to fruition the will has been read in the senate naming tiberius as chief heir by acclamation and by manipulation of olivia certainly the senate is now about to vote tiberius to and and ask him to continue as emperor which is what she has been going for. She knows this is going to happen. She knows that when they're quote unquote debating whether or not Augustus shall be named a God, that that's going to happen. It's all, all everything, everything that she has woven, all the threads she has woven have now been 
pulled into the final shape of this tapestry of Tiberius becoming emperor and she becoming the emperor's mother and I think she hopes emperor de facto, right? Yeah. And I, but I read this moment a little bit differently than you do because she feels free to be open with him and almost, and eventually she does open up to him, but she feels free to, to sort of tip her hand that she knows what's going, going on. A, because she thinks she's a fool and doesn't, doesn't understand what's happening, which is good because he does know what's happening, even though etiquette requires him to come pay his condolences. Mm-hmm. He knows that she's a monster, right? And there's a, there was a very great chance, uh, and he's very lucky that at no point did Augustus tip off Livia that Claudius knew, right? Because she knew that Maximus knew. She knew that Posthumus had to die. If she had any hint, Claudius is the only reason that Augustus knew. If she had any hint, right, that uh, that Claudius knew, he would be marked for death. He'd be but dead, she doesn't. yeah. Yeah. So she's revealing, she's sort of tipping her hand that, like, all of my schemes have now hatched out. And when she says, do you think he deserves to be a god? We know from this scene, and especially later on, that it's her dream to become a goddess. And when he answers and like, well, of course, it was foretold by Jove. She treats him with such contempt because I think in this moment, this is one of those moments. And this is maybe what you are getting at, Elliot, where she, her interrogation of Claudius about like, do you think he will be a god is asking essentially like, do you think there's an afterlife? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, do you think that he should be a god? And he answers, well, it's foretold. She goes, why was it foretold? Well, an omen, an omen. Don't you think these omens are stupid? This is a moment, I think, where she's really reflecting upon the fact that she's murdered her husband. His being named a god is not going to mean anything. Probably her being named a goddess is not going to mean anything. Perhaps Mm -hmm. it's all meaningless, and she did it all, not for nothing, but for a kind of hollow victory that it's all just small, petty, earthly bullshit Yeah, stuff. and eventually she's going to die, too. And there's nothing that she's done that's going to stop that. Right. And her, and her contempt for Claudius is not merely just uh, ableism in this case. I think it's contempt for his idealism, for him saying, of course he will become a god. It was foretold. She's like, you're stupid. Everyone is stupid. And the anger that she vents on him, I think, is her version of mourning for what she's done to Augustus, is my, hmm. my take on it. Episode started with Claudius laughing at, at uh, you know, now in on the laugh, ha, 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 after he was laughed at at the end of the last episode. He was in on the laugh earlier on with Germanicus, but now he is the object of laughter again. And she truly does a Cruella DeVille laugh. And we crossfade back to old pancake makeup Claudius yelling at, uh, yelling at her memory, wicked woman, wickedness, poison is queen. Great. The end. That's, yeah. it's, a, it's a really, it's a really chilling and uh and rough and and there's a certain there's a certain part of me that's like oh the series could end there if it needed to yeah but we got more but claudius isn't isn't he's not i claudius yet he's just claudius he's not he's just claudius he's the just, god yeah he's not he's nothing so far but there's something about the way that they jump around in time i think it like I think I was talking about it last year, the last year, last episode about how who's the, jumping uh, around in time here. Yeah, I know. Oh, I'm unstuck. Uh, that the last episode, how these things have been just sitting in Claudius's mind for years, no matter what happens to him. And there's something about that. Dis- that dissolves from him hearing her laugh to him shouting at her laughter as an, as an older man that 
it can it took me a moment to re- remember again like oh yeah yeah this is years and years later these are things that have been this laughter has been echoing in his mind probably his entire life since then and that's such a like long after she's dead and it's such a terrifying thing such a horrifying thing that like you you leave this episode just being totally drained and totally like oh okay i guess nothing matters well yeah, back to my normal life <laughs> what livia reminds you is that there's a very thin dangerous line between pragmatism and nihilism and she is drifting into nihilism in this moment yeah and trying and, to take claudius down with her so and i'm I just feel for the uh, PBS fundraisers who would have to follow this and try to explain why it's worth that tote bag to donate some money to keep your PBS broadcaster around when uh, Livia has just shown you that life is a joke and that nothing is worth anything. Well, but I mean, this is why this is why it's important that, you know, I, I Claudius was a traumatic <clears throat> moment in a lot of children's lives as they saw their parents watching it. <laughs> Maybe traumatic for the eight-year-olds and up who are listening to this podcast now thinking it's a family-friendly podcast just like the Judge John Hodgman podcast. But what you get from, what you get from some of the swear words and the sexual candor is a, is a balance, uh, children, with a greater understanding of nihilism. This is, what, mm-hmm. this is what children need. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, it's, uh, uh, before we finish talking about the episode, I wanted to end on a slightly lighter note which is that in my Brian Blessed research, since he we won't be having much reason to talk about him too much more in the series, I saw that in 2011, uh, York University, uh, the students there voted for their new study space to be named the Brian Blessed Center for Quiet Study. <laughs> oh, that's rich. Gordon's alive. Gordon's alive! Incredible. Everyone's an expert suddenly. So I just thought I thought that was a, that was a, a nice. Uh, you don't get too many ironically named uh, academic spaces. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of I Podius. Thanks again to our producer Jordan Cowling. Our theme music is performed by Paul F. Tompkins. Thank you, Paul. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and if you're watching iClaudius as you listen to the podcast, please tell us about your reaction to the show. You can reach John at at Hodgman on Twitter and at John Hodgman on Instagram. You can reach me at at Elliot Kalin on Twitter. Next time we'll be discussing episode V, Some Justice. iPodius is brought to you by Maximum Fun. For iPodius, it is I, John Hodgman. And I, Elliot Kalin. And we'll talk more later. Thanks for listening. MaximusFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.